But we'd like to welcome you into uh, to Redwood this morning. I know many are joining us online because of the weather. Uh, so we're glad that you guys are, are here uh, with us. And I got a question for you before we jump in this morning. I want you to think if you are currently married, if you have been married in the past, uh, what was the time for you when you realized that your significant other, your husband, your wife, your uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, whatever, you realized this is the person that I just truly, totally love? Think about that for just a second. Maybe kind of file that question. I hear some laughing going on over here. So... There's a story there that I want to, I want to hear later, um, and if not, I want you to make up a story that sounds really good, so I told Jennifer that, um, you know, I, I realized for her that I loved her and was in love with her when there came a time that I would rather be with her than with a plate of tacos. For me, I don't know why that worked, but that's what I told her. And she believed that for like 10 years. So that was what was kind of fun that I ran with that for a while. But think about that and kind of file that away. Uh, We're starting a new series today uh, called Relationship Goals. And uh, I just want to let you know, Ed, you came back a week too early. Um, Ed missed a couple weeks. And when he came back last week and goes, we're not talking about giving anymore, right? That's why I'm here. Um, (laughs) I said, well, you missed it by a week. So I think he snuck out before I started. Uh, but we're done with that, you know, and, and I, I want to uh, encourage you, though, on that, that series we talked about the past three weeks, uh, don't just forget about that series. That, that's one you can go back and revisit, not to say you can go back and listen to me or to any specific preacher, but just listen to what the Bible has to say about our, our giving and our money and, and our, our finances, because it's something we all need the refresher on. But I want to look today at another important aspect of our Christian walk. And that is just our relationships in general. And I set this series up for a few reasons. One, I feel like the last year was harder on relationships than any year I can remember. And uh, just looking back at some friends of mine, uh, it breaks my heart to see that several friends of mine, I'm talking my age and younger, saw their marriages end in 2020. When they went into 2020, at least on the surface, they looked strong. But they ended during 2020. That broke my heart to see that. Uh, it broke my heart to see friendships broken over the last year. And, and I get it. We've talked about this. Last year caused a lot of extra strain, a lot of extra pressure and stress on every part of our life. And too often, when we get that strain and stress in our lives, the people that we're most likely to take it out on are those that we're the closest to. And so for many of us, that's a husband or a wife, or maybe a close personal friend, or maybe our children or our parents. That's who we're most likely to take it out on. Why? I've got some theories. I think the easiest is we probably expect the most grace and forgiveness from those people. But sometimes we push people a little bit too hard, a little bit too far. And I've thought about this because as a pastor, and to a greater extent as a church, one of our number one things that we should really focus on and care about are healthy, strong marriages in in our church and in our community. I said this a couple weeks ago in the Money Series. You look at at my wife and I, if we have problems or if we have a great marriage, the two of us and and each of us individually are are, going to get through that, but the people who benefit the most or suffer the most from our marriage are our kids and are our family around us. They're the ones who are going to benefit the most from us having a, a strong, healthy marriage or hurt the most from us not having a strong and healthy marriage. 
But this isn't just about marriages in, the, in, in this series. Because I know for many of us, some of our strongest relationships, maybe, maybe we're not married, some of our strongest relationships are just friendships. People that we're with on a regular basis. Uh, another guy or another woman in our life that we can share things with outside of maybe our, our marital relationship. And so over the course of this series, uh, we're going to kind of look at both aspects of relationships. And what we're going to do is focus really on some simple principles that we need to file away because I, I think these principles, if, if we prioritize these in our relationships, it's going to make our relationships grow and become stronger and flourish and hopefully start to impact more than just the two or three people that we're, we're talking about directly. It impacts the people around us. It helps grow the kingdom. Today we're going to talk about maybe the simplest and yet deepest and most difficult of the principles, and that's love. I kind of asked you guys a few minutes ago, the person in your life who is your significant other, when did you realize I'm in love with this person? Or let's take it a different direction, a close friendship. When was a time that you realized this is a person I want and need in my life? This is a person that if this person is not in my life, there's going to be a big hole in my life that's going to be difficult for somebody else to fill. I want you to think about that because here's kind of the, the basis of what we're, we're getting at today, the simple principle. If love isn't the foundation of your relationship, the relationship is set up to fail. Which is kind of where I'm, I'm going to come at from the angle I'm coming at t- today. I don't do this very often. Uh, this, is, this is preaching class 101. You get your dominant thought out there and you get it right off the bat. I don't do this, okay? I like to kind of end with that. But this is where we're going with this today. If love isn't the foundation of your relationship, your relationship is set up to fail. I want you to think about something here for a second. I asked my wife this last night, and I think we had almost the exact same answers to this question. But when it comes to a relationship, okay, Think about for a second, if you've been married for a while, go back in time a bit, okay, go back before you got married, maybe even before you met your spouse, and ask yourself the question, what is it that I want this relationship to to bring me? When it comes to maybe a, a romantic or intimate relationship, what is it that I want this relationship to bring me, okay? And then a secondary question when it comes to a friendship, what is it that I want this relationship to bring me and provide me? Here's kind of what I came up with, and, and again, Jennifer had almost the exact same answers to this. I said, with a marital relationship, before I even knew who I was going to marry, I knew that I wanted a marriage relationship to bring me companionship, to bring me intimacy, but also, too, to bring me stability. Those are really the three aspects I wanted. Now, those are umbrellas. There's so many things that can fit under companionship and intimacy and stability. And when it comes to a friendship in life, what I look for is I want somebody I can trust who's reliable, who likes me for who I am. Uh, I think we've all had people we've tried to be friends with, or maybe we've tried to be somebody that we're not, and that works for a while until eventually you just kind of get tired of putting on that mask all the time. But we want that reliability, that trustworthiness. We need that person in our lives. And I think too often we tend to evaluate our relationships based either on what we get from the other person or what we give to the other person. And it's it's just constantly that give and take. That's how we judge or rate or, or decide whether a relationship is healthy. And that's not inherently a bad thing. But I want us to step back for just a moment and again look at that foundation. 
Because before we get into the give and take of a relationship, there needs to at least be some sort of establishment of love. Now, I, I get it. You don't go into a relationship automatically in love with another person, okay? Maybe you did, but most people don't, okay? You don't go into a marriage relationship and day one you're like, man, I am absolutely in love with this woman. You don't go into a friendship going, man, this is my best friend I have ever met, day one. No, it builds, right? It takes time. That love develops, but you have to go in, I think, with a heart ready to love. If you've got a Bible, uh, we're going to camp out in a very famous passage today. Go to flip to uh, 1 Corinthians 13. If you've got a Bible, you can flip there. If you've got a device, you can go there. We're going to hit some other spots, but this is really where we're going to camp out today, is 1 Corinthians 13. Because in this passage, Paul breaks this down beautifully and shows us that without love, nothing else really matters. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 13. Starting in verse 1, he says, If I could speak all the languages of the earth and the angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others... I would have gained nothing. Very famous introduction to a very famous chapter of the Bible. I call this the if-but passage. Because we get three instances of if-but. If I had this, but if I didn't, here's what it would be. And we think about this because it's easy for us as Christians to focus on those ifs, right? Think about what he said there. If I could speak all the languages of the world. In other words, if I could communicate clearly with everybody... If everybody could understand what I'm saying, but if I didn't have love, I'm just a noisemaker. If I could prophesy, if I could tell everybody exactly what God's thinking, what exactly God's plans for the world are, if I could lay this out so there'd be no more mystery, that'd be great, right? But if I didn't love others, I'd be nothing. Well, if I, if I gave everything I had, we just did this whole series on finance, right? And we talked a lot about generosity and a lot about giving to others and living this radically generous life. If I did that, but I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And that's so easy for us to, to grab onto. Now, I want to pause for a second here and, and, and go Bible student on you. Because if you've got your Bible like this, you can, you can see this easier than maybe you can if you're just looking at this on your device. Because one of the things you're taught when you're studying the Bible is what's called literary context. Now, I get into 1 Corinthians 13, and what a lot of you start thinking about when I start reading through this passage, especially when I get to the next section that we're going to talk about in just a moment, the love is patient thing. What do you start thinking about? Oh, this reminds me of that wedding I went to, and that's what they talked about. Love is patient, love is kind. And yeah, that's kind of a go-to for a lot of preachers and a lot of pastors to read this at a wedding, but Paul didn't write this for weddings, okay? Paul wrote 1 Corinthians and also 2 Corinthians to a church in a town called Corinth. And what you need to know about this, this church in Corinth is this church was incredibly divided and broken, and it was on the verge of falling apart. And they weren't necessarily divided on these deep, huge theological issues, 
They were divided on practical issues. You know, I wish I knew a church like that, where they can't get along on how they should do things. Not so much what they believe. This isn't Romans where he's like laying out, okay, here's exactly why you're a miserable, rotten sinner, and here's exactly why Jesus did this amazing, wonderful thing to keep you from becoming a miserable, rotten sinner, and now here's what that blood of Christ, this isn't what he's talking about here. No, he's addressing practical issues. He's addressing things like how to do a worship service, how to take communion, and what he gets to 1 Corinthians 13, I mentioned a moment ago, We call it literary context, meaning you can't take a section of the Bible and pull it away from what's around it and expect it to mean what it's really supposed to mean. And so when you look at 1 Corinthians, as you're flipping through there, you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Paul starts talking about one of our favorite topics, spiritual gifts. And he starts talking about, well, you know, some of you are gifted in this way, and some of you are gifted in that way, and that's how you want to serve because this is your gifting. I don't want to serve over here because that's not my gifting. And he talks about how we are all individual parts of the same body. You know, and basically like, well, you know what? This is my hand. My hand grabs things. My foot doesn't grab things. My hand grabs things. So my foot couldn't ever possibly want to grab anything, and my hand couldn't ever possibly want to help me walk around the floor. But what he's saying is, no, you need both of those to to function. You need all of those parts. That's uh, 1 Corinthians 12, spiritual gifts and unity. Guess what he talks about in chapter 14? Spiritual gifts, again, and worship on the worship service and how the worship service should go and how people should participate in that. And seeing which in between those, guess what he talks about? Love. So this isn't a passage that's just written to husbands and wives to be read at a wedding. Now, I'll, I'll say this and make a disclaimer. I read this at weddings, okay? I do. Because it's a great passage on what love really is. But that's not what it's all about. It's about the church needing to remember the importance of loving one another. Throughout the entire history of the church, this may may surprise you, Redwood Christian Church is not the first one to disagree on practical issues in ministry. Make them as a shock. I've been a part of a few other churches, and I think every single one of them, people disagreed on the practical put it to, to, to work issues in ministry. It happens, okay? Obviously, it happened in a church that's existing about 20 years after Jesus was on the earth, because that's what Paul's writing to. And so as he talks about this with love, the point of this is it's easy for us to focus on our gifts and what our gifts can do for us and what our gifts can do for others and what our gifts can even do for the church. That's not, it's not a bad thing. But what Paul's saying is unless love is laced through that, then those gifts are pointless. Those gifts are meaningless. If you can preach, but you don't preach with love, you're just a noisemaker. If you can sing, but you don't sing with love, you're just a noisemaker. If you can serve with your hands, but you're not doing that with love, you're just moving stuff around. That's what Paul's saying here. He's a little harsher, but he's saying you're nothing. You're accomplishing nothing. You're doing nothing. I think it's easy for us as Christians, as a church, to focus on our gifts and know, God, these came from you. But we also forget kind of in the middle of that, that the greatest gift God gave us is love. Not just gave us love, but gave us his love to give to others. And I think we forget about that sometimes. The Apostle John reminds us this 
in 1 John chapter 4. One of the, I remember this is one of the first verses I ever memorized. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, he says this, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. I like to think about this, because this is, this is a fun little thing to say that's actually wrong. It's, it's fun to say love comes from God. No, no, no. God is love. It doesn't just come out of him. He is love. Like, he doesn't create it. No, he is love. So therefore, it just naturally comes out of a relationship with him to all of us. It's there waiting for all of us. He's the source of love. And folks, the closer we get to him, the more we're naturally going to be able to share that love with others. The, the, The more natural we are to just make love a key component of who we are when we're closer to him. And I think this too, when you remember that he is love and you get closer to him, it starts to get easier and easier for us to just be love in other people's lives. To, to, to go into a situation where you're going to serve somebody else. And you're not having to like talk yourself into it or hype yourself up. I mean, we have those, let's be honest, we have those days where it's like, I just really don't want to go do this today. I don't, I don't have the energy. I'm so frustrated with people. No, God is love. And when we understand that God is love, it helps us understand what love also is. Here's where Paul goes on to that famous part of this in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love is patient and kind Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love, love will last forever. You know what I really like about this, this list Paul gives us. He mentions 14 descriptions here of what love is and isn't and what love does and doesn't do. I mean, look at this. He spends more time explaining what it isn't and doesn't do than what it is. Because here's what he says love is, two things. He says it's patient and kind. Now, how many of you would describe yourself as patient and kind? How many of you, without looking to your left or your right, would describe your spouse? Uh, never mind, I'm not going to ask that question. <laughs> Don't want to cause any issues this morning. But look what he says love isn't. Love isn't jealous. It's not inwardly focused. Love isn't boastful. No, love is humble. Love isn't proud. Instead, it's selfless. Love isn't rude, it's, it's, it's generous, it's giving towards others. Love's not irritable. Love doesn't waver or shake easily. And look what he says love doesn't do. Love doesn't demand its own way. That's a, that's a hard one sometimes for us, right? We just talked the last three weeks about how inherently selfish so many of us can be as humans. Love does not demand its own way. Love keeps no record of being wronged has a short memory. We were talking last night with, with uh, our oldest. Um, Elsie did a typical big sister thing to Amelie. 
you know, just kind of doing something to irritate her. And Amelie came in crying. And Elsie, Elsie's getting to an age where when she realizes she's done something wrong, and we say, you need to go apologize, that's when she starts to fall apart. I think because she has a hard time just getting a grasp on that. But Amelie was, was really upset with her. And I told Elsie, I said, you got to remember your sister. I said, she has this ability that by tomorrow morning, she'll forget all about it. She has the ability to let go of being hurt, of being wronged. I said, she's going to be mad at you for the rest of the night. Once she falls asleep, it's gone. <laughs> you know, I thought, man, I, I wish I had that better. The ability to let go of being hurt. And Amelie, if you know her, my, my, my six-year-old, she is a bundle of love. Like that child loves to love and loves to be loved. She's the only one of our three children who cuddles. I mean, our dog cuddles better than our other two, okay? <laughs> she loves to cuddle. She loves to, to, to just, she loves to let you know how much she loves being around you. And she keeps no record of wrong. It says, love doesn't like injustice, but rejoices over the truth. And that's something we could hold on to right now. That's something we could think about a little bit more right now. Love doesn't give up. It endures. Some of you understand this. Some of you have been married for decades. You understand this. It continues on. It endures. Love never loses faith. It's always faithful. But then he mentions the last two things he mentions are two things that love does. It endures every circumstance and it lasts forever. Amen, I, I, I love that. Because I love seeing a couple who has been together through thick and thin, through everything life can throw at them, through every hurdle, every obstacle, and they make it all the way until death do us part. And I think about that so, that runs through my head, not just a, a married couple, but even a friendship couple. Two friends who have been together through thick and thin. Maybe, yeah, maybe you want you exchange words every once in a while. Maybe you have your blow-ups, but you understand there's something bigger than the little details that we're going to fight over. There's love. And I think about that because, church, we need to be very, very clear about something. If there's one thing in this world that we as the church get right, it needs to be this. It needs to be this. That we love one another. That we love those outside of this building. Those outside of this room. That we take our love to them. Think about this for a moment. Those of you who have been in a relationship that maybe has gotten rocky at times. Think about that list Paul just gave us. Those 14 things there. And you can think of a time that your love has been tested in those ways. Rudeness or pride, boasting, jealousy. We've been married for almost 12 years. Uh, I can think of those already on, on ours, when those have reared their ugly heads at Jennifer and I. I can think about times where love has dared us to keep a record of wrong. Or maybe not love, but life has dared us to keep records of wrong. Where life has dared us to not make this go the distance, where life has dared us to, to, to worry about nitpicking things. And when life's over here yapping at us over here, love's over here saying, pipe down. <laughs> because I'm over here and I'm stronger than you over here. 
Folks, as a church, we need to remember this. That love covers everything. 1 Peter chapter 4, he says it this way, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. There's some of you nodding your heads right now because maybe you haven't read this verse in a long time, but you absolutely know what it's talking about. You absolutely know where Peter's coming from. You absolutely have been there because you think about relationships maybe that you've had that have broken. And you can probably pinpoint exactly what it was that pushed that relationship beyond the spot where it was going to be repaired. We've been there. Maybe not a marriage, but we've probably all had friendships that have done that. We've all had a, uh, you know, a guy or a girl in our lives where it's, it's been pushed to that, that point. Or maybe before your, your spouse, uh, an old dating relationship. There's a reason it didn't work out. There's something that pushed it to the point where it couldn't be fixed. And I want you to think about this for a second. Maybe especially in terms of a friendship more than a marriage. What was it with somebody that caused you to get pushed past that point? Where no longer can love cover this up. Because we all have our line. Let's be honest. We all have our line that somebody can't push us across. And once they do, sorry. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but we have that. We're human. Okay? And we can forgive, but sometimes forgiveness doesn't always automatically mean, okay, I'm ready to love you again. We, we get this, right? I'm not the only one that's crazy up here, okay? We've all been there. Was it really worth whatever happened pushing you past that point? Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I'm not in your shoes to judge that situation. I wasn't there. But Peter tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. Now, it doesn't say every single possible sin. It says a multitude. So go back and ask yourself that question, was it worth it? Maybe ask yourself this question, something that you can evaluate this week, is this, what's my line that can't be crossed? Okay, like write that down and, and ask yourself that question. And then go back later and say, okay, is this line something that is absolutely set in stone? Or is this something that maybe, maybe that line can be pushed back just a little bit? Maybe I push my line too far to the forward. Maybe it can come back just a little bit and, and, and give more room for grace. Because I notice with myself, as I've gotten a little bit older, I think my line has come back a little bit further. Because some of the things that might have triggered me 10, 15 years ago when I was fresh out of high school, or fre- I was out of high school 15 years ago, sorry, 20 years ago when I was fresh out of high school, <laughs> number's getting bigger, man. <laughs> it's my 20 year out of high school this year. 15 years ago, I was out of college, that one's getting bigger too. But you know how it is when you're 18, 21, 22. You've got it figured out, right? <laughs> At least you think you do. Now, at 38, my line's a little further back. I think about this, and, and then I come across what Paul continues writing there in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. He says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. You've got kids, you get this. Okay, maybe some of you have been adults long enough, you don't remember some of the foolish things you did as a kid. Maybe some of you are glad you can't remember some of the foolish things you did as a kid. But I think about this because, man, like I said, how much quicker was I to get angry 20 years ago? How much quicker was I to say something without thinking 20 years ago? 
How much quicker was I to act without thinking 20 years ago? Some of you don't have to think back very far. Some of you, this is like two, three years ago. You can, you can remember this. And I think about this because the same logic that applies to growing in maturity as a person also applies to our walk with Christ. Okay, we call this spiritual formation or spiritual development. And what I've noticed with me is the more time I spend with Jesus, the more like him I can become. At 21, as, as this, this year started, I've tried to make a new commitment to some spiritual practices in my life. And, you know, it's something that I've tried to do every year throughout my adult life. So this year I thought, I'm going to take a different angle at this because I've done these same things maybe year after year and I want a different angle at it. One thing I'm doing is instead of just reading the Bible, I'm, I'm actually writing some of it out by hand. I don't know why. This may be insane, but it's helping me slow down and read it and not overthink it. Sometimes when you're a Bible college student, you have this curse of, I can't just read the Bible because I start automatically breaking it down and thinking, how can I preach this? And how can I teach this? And how can I make this practical for anybody who comes around me? And I don't just read it to read it. So slowing myself down and writing some of it out by hand. Uh, I'm taking a different approach to how I, I spend time in prayer this year. I'm taking a different approach in, in other things that I read this year to just try and get a better grasp of, of where God wants me to go this year. And I think about that because those are disciplines. We don't like that word. Those are disciplines or practices that I can put into my life on a regular basis. And, and I think that's important for all of us because the more we do those disciplines and practices, the more we grow to be like Christ. We, I, I don't do these so that I can show them off. I don't do these so that I can brag about, hey, look how religious I am today. No, it's because I want to get in tune with the Spirit. I want to know where God wants me to go, which step He wants me to take, and I don't want to, again, I don't want to over-spiritualize it. It's not, like I'm, it's not like I'm walking down the steps going, okay, God, do you want me to take this next step? Okay, this next one. No, I just want this idea of where He's leading me. And the more time I spend with him, the more like him I become, the more natural that's going to become in my life. And again, I said this earlier, I'll kind of rephrase it. The more you become like Jesus, the more you naturally show his true nature to the, to the world you're around, the people you're around. Okay, Jennifer and I talk all the time about how much we've rubbed off on each other, how different we are today than we were 12 years ago before we got married. And, and she's a little bit less just like her parents, and I'm a little bit less just like my parents. We've kind of come somewhat to the middle, right? And if we do that with each other, man, you can do that with Christ. You can do that with God. And if God is love, that's what's going to pour out into your world. And Paul's made it clear through this passage that nothing you offer the world is good enough unless it's laced in love and founded and rooted in love. In fact, here's how he, he wraps up this chapter. Maybe one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Throughout this whole chapter, throughout 1 John and 1 Peter that I mentioned earlier, we see a word for love that's very famous. It's the word agape or agape. Some can say it kind of either, either way. There's different words used for love throughout the New Testament, different Greek words, and they all have a little bit different meaning. But agape, or agape, is the one you see throughout this entire passage, probably the one that you all would know the best. And agape, we often think about it as this idea of, it, well, it means unconditional love. 
It's not entirely wrong, but it's not entirely right either. Because it's unconditional of true, but remember something, this is the word that is often used to describe God's love for you and God's love for me. So spin it around just a little bit here, because when you, when you flip it, you realize it's not necessarily unconditional love, it's love without condition. What do I mean by that? Unconditional love, it's easy to think that and phrase it this way, well, I love my wife so much, there's nothing she can do to cause me to stop loving her. Or I love my kids so much, there's nothing they can do to, to make me stop loving them. It's like, okay, the love is so strong, it can't be broken. And there's, there's truth to that. That's a good thing. We need to remember that. Romans tells us that. Nothing can separate us from God's love. But when we say it's love without condition, we phrase that a bit differently here because that means there's nothing you have to do ahead of time to get this love. Our human relationships, often, somebody kind of has to earn our love, at least on a deep, you know, intimate connection. Somebody has to show you that they're worth your love, that they're worth your affection, they're worth your attention. But it doesn't work that way with God. God loved us ahead of time. We sang that song earlier that, that um, I just totally blanked out on the name of the song that you sang about love. They were all about love, but... <laughs> Which one, yeah. Which song about love that I can't remember the name to? Um... Reckless love, that one. And there's a line in there about when we were his foe, he still loved us. You know, while we were foes with him, he he loved us. Here's how Paul says it in Romans chapter 5. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We think about that. You want a picture of not having to earn love, nothing being required to get love. And this is loving without condition. While we were still sinners, how many of you have somebody that right now will spit in your face and shove you away and curse at you? And it's easy to say, I still love you. If we're honest, there's probably not a lot of us. There are some of you, yes. And if that's a child or a parent, that's probably easier than if it's just somebody else in your life. If it's a neighbor, if it's a coworker, if it's a a friend who's done that to you. Man, that love's going to be hard to come up with, but God did it for us. That's love without condition. That's agape love. And we think about what God has given us in our lives, not just our spiritual gifts. That's easy maybe to see, but we, we recognize that God's given us the gift of freedom from sin, or that he's given us breath in our lungs, or that he has given us the ability to stand up and walk and function, and have opportunities, and have, have a job, and have a home, and have a church. And how many of us, we stop and think, oh, but he also gave me love. Because it's easy to see that verse that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and think, well, that's awesome that God has that love. I wish I did too. Guess what? You do. <laughs> because in his grace, God poured that love into your heart so that you could share it with your world. And I think about this because as a parent, I think this makes more sense to me than it, it did before I had kids. Because again, I loved my children before they were born. Before we knew whether our kids were even a boy or a girl. We loved them. We had plans for them. 
We, we, we wished for this amazing future for them. And I, I, I tell my oldest, I, I mentioned with Elsie, she, when she starts to process and break down when she's done something wrong, that's when she starts to break down emotionally. I don't know how many times she's come in just bawling because she's finally realized that she's messed up and her response is always, I just don't want to be a bad kid. That's when I'll grab her by the shoulders and say, then stop being one. I don't say that. (laughs) No, what do I tell her? Elsie, you're not a bad kid. You're a good kid. And I love you. And there's nothing you're going to do that's going to change that. There's nothing you can do that's going to, I may not like what you're doing, but there's nothing you can do that's going to change that. And she probably doesn't understand that at eight and a half years old. Because I didn't. I don't know that I understood that until I was 30 and she was born. But she will understand that at some point. And folks, that, that's just the slightest little glimpse of what we as humans can experience when it comes to what God's giving to us. Is that marriage relationship, that parent relationship, that loving without condition. She didn't have to do a single solitary thing to earn my love. She just had to exist. (laughs) And that's how we are with God. And God loves us so much, so much. John tells us very famously that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Folks, as a church, We say this often, it's our mission to take that love of God into our world so that we can grow his kingdom. We show people the love of God. We show people the love of Christ. And then we let Christ go to work on them. We're not going out there with our Bibles to start a war and beat people over the heads. We're going out there with the word and the gospel to share that love that was shared with us. We think about this, it's our mission to do what Jesus did, to go out and to seek and save the lost, to bring life to the full, and to serve others. I'm going to ask Jeff if he'd come up here at this time. We've got something that we're excited to talk about today because this encapsulates that, that mission. I'll bring this up here for you too, but... We are, are excited to announce a new arm of our church, a new ministry of our church that does all of those things, that helps to serve others, that helps to bring full life. I'm going to let Jeff talk all about this. Thanks, Kurt. What a wonderful sermon about love. Um, well, good morning. My name is Jeff Rowley. I'm one of your elders here, and I am very excited to be in front of you to... Um, uh, explain to, uh, to you a new ministry here at Redwood Christian Church, uh, and it's called His Handyman Ministry. And historically, this church has been a church. Our church has been a, a, a compassionate church in which it goes out to the community and reaches those that are, are in need. Um, and this is one way that our His Handyman Ministry will be doing that. Um, it is a, uh, a ministry uh, dedicated to providing uh, just minor home repairs and maintenance around the homes. 
of the widows, spouses of deployed military, mothers, and elderly of our church. Um, and then anybody in the community uh, that doesn't have a church home. So it's an opportunity to go out there and help uh, our community, help those individuals in need, especially in this past year when COVID hit and there's uh, a ton of job losses financially. Uh, uh, you know, families are, are really struggling out there. So this is an opportunity to help those families uh, with minor home repairs and, and maintenance around the home. Um, this particular handyman ministry is based upon God's word located in James chapter 1, verse 27, where we are called to go out and take care of our orphans and our widows, okay? And this is another part of our, um, our, our ministry that can provide love to those individuals out in the community. So I'm here in front of you, very excited uh, to let you know that we're going to be kicking this off in February. It's based on an application process in which you apply for um, a particular need or anybody in the community that has a particular need. Um, they'll do go through an application process. We'll evaluate that application. And then we'll uh, take steps to uh, schedule a time in which we can go out there and help uh, that family, that individual, that widow, um, whoever. Uh, so this is a time in which we can all come together. First, uh, I am looking for volunteers. Uh, next Saturday, we're going to have our men's kickoff, and uh, hopefully we'll get a group of men who are willing to, to get their hands dirty uh, or uh, men that are willing to um, help uh, in the way of of their skills and, and showing their skills of handyman ministry. For me, I like to fix things. I love fixing things. And this is an, a, another opportunity for me to come out and do those things and, and show my skills. So um, I'm looking for volunteers. Anybody can be a volunteer. Anybody can come out and help. And I'm only asking for one Saturday a month. It could be one Saturday morning. Uh, or a full Saturday, just one Saturday a month in which we can all come together and go out and show God's love. So uh, his handyman ministry, we're going to be kicking that off here really, really soon, and I'm very excited about it. If you have further questions, please see me, and uh, I'll be happy to explain to you and, and, and guide you in that process. All right, thank you very much. Something that Jeff didn't mention with that, but something that we're trying to work, kind of this ministry, but another thing alongside of that is finding people who need help around their house and their home, who have maybe run into issues with things like code violation, uh, but they don't have the money or the means to take care of what they were in violation of. So partnering with the local police departments and local city organizations to help take care of people. Not to say don't do your jobs, please do your jobs, but then call us next and we'll come out and try to take care of it as best that we possibly can. Think about this, because love is so much more than just a husband and wife or a romantic relationship. It's even more than just a close friendship. Love should be the essence of who we are. We're going to transition straight into a time of communion today. And so if you didn't get a communion packet on your way in, uh, let us know. Ken's back there and can, can make sure that we, we get some passed around. But I think about this because 
um, it's at the core of the love of God that we got the cross of Christ. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's nothing that we could have done, nothing that we could have learned or tried to accomplish that would have taken care of our sin in our lives. It was the love of God. It was the love of Christ. That's the message that we need to take to our world. There's nobody is beyond his love. Nobody is beyond his reach. And as we stop this morning and come to this moment around his table, we're remembering that sacrifice that he made for us. We are remembering the promise that he made to us. A promise to bring us home to God, to restore us to a relationship with him. So let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for his sacrifice, but God, we're thankful for his love. We're thankful for that love that covers our multitude of sins. God, I pray in these next few moments as we take these emblems, that Lord, we would remember that sacrifice and that love, that we would share that with others as we go. We pray in Jesus' name.